today on the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm a strong believer of branding and positioning. Uh, I, I'm a very, very strong believer of both those concepts. I also believe um, in what I what we call kind of nuclear strikes or lightning strikes as opposed to kind of, like you could take a $10 million marketing budget and you could spread it over like a hundred small things uh, versus sort of one big event or two big events or whatever. And I'm a strong believer of the latter. Like I think, you know, smaller, you know, a smaller number of like lower frequency, high impact is, it's kind of like, you know, you can toss a, a 10,000 grenades or one nuclear bomb, you're going to sort of see it, you know, in a morbid sense, you know, a much higher impact with a nuclear attack. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. If you've been to Money 2020 the past couple of years, you're likely to have encountered Zeta. Maybe you were one of the 10,000 people who attended the Journey and Foreigner concerts they sponsored. Or maybe you stopped by the firm's big booth at the center of the floor. That type of marketing, what founder Bhavan Taraki likes to call nuclear strikes, is helping the credit card as a service firm mature in the U.S. Bhavan shares with us the playbook he's using to grow Zeta, honed from his experience building and growing three other SaaS firms in his career. We discuss why Zeta targets the largest banks and fintechs, and how the firm is landing and expanding via enterprise sales. Talking to Bhavan is like talking to a professor of real-life business. He readily shares his experiences and frameworks for how he's thinking about scaling his fintech firm. Bhavan Taraki is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Thanks, Zach. Hi, I'm, I'm Bhavan. I'm the CEO and co-founder at Zeta. Um, Zeta is a modern next-gen processing platform for issuer processing and core processing uh, built essentially in the last decade, well, last seven years. Uh, me and my co-founder co-founded Zeta in, in 2015. Uh, and we basically provide, uh, we're a technology service provider to banks and fintechs, predominantly mid to large um, sort of banks and fintechs, providing them a platform that enables them to launch Modern credit cards, debit cards, prepaid accounts, deposits, and loans. Awesome. Um, so I, I think I'd like to start by taking a step backwards and um, hear how the genesis story around Zeta and um, your background, Bavin, because I think that is um, illustrative into talking about where where, where Zeta is headed. Um, can we first start with you? Like, can we talk about um, your work history and, and what you've done in your career? Sure. So um, I've been a serial tech entrepreneur for the last twenty five years. I found my passion Sorry early on. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> started, started coding when I was 10 years old. I was in a boys only school, so no distractions. Um, back in 1989, I was born and raised in Mumbai, in India. I currently shuttle between Dubai, Mumbai, New York, um, and started coding at an early age. Started my first company when I was 17 wow. um, called Direct Eye, um, along with my younger brother. Ran that for 14 years and sold that. In, in 2014. And then since then, I've started three other companies. Zeta is the latest one um, co-founded in 2015. And was there a, a fintech thread or is this your first company in the fintech field? This is our first company, my first company in the fintech. In fact, every one of them have been different themes. So it was web infrastructure services, uh, domain name registry, um, communication, and then fintech. I still own and operate the other three, but minimalistically so. So DirectEye, Radix, Titan and Zeta, and they're all in four different, they're all tech, um, SaaS, but, but in different, um, different spaces. So, so why, why go, why enter after you've had this career of starting up companies in different sectors, why enter FinTech? What, what, what attracted you to the space? 
Well, for purity's sake, I will say we're not truly really a fintech. We power fintechs and we power banks. And this is kind of the fin, fintech is the most abused term in the industry. It, is true. I think. it doesn't mean anything. Um, yeah. it does, everybody's a fintech. Uh, but we basically, we think of us as a technology service provider, which means we're not manufacturing or distributing or providing financial services ourselves. We're only providing technology as a platform mm-hmm. to fintechs and banks. And really the, the, you know, the, both me and my co-founder were excited about the payment space in general, but in many ways, it's, a, it's one of the last, if not the last kind of, um, you know, industry, which still uses legacy platforms that were built before the cloud, before smartphones. Actually, most of them were built before I was born. Um, and um, we felt like um, here's an industry that is not agile. Uh, innovation is very slow. New releases take years. Products take roughly on an average, from what I've heard, 21.4 months is the industry statistic. Average number of months it takes to launch a new product. Um, no modern experiences. If you think of a credit card today, and a credit card launched, you know, back in 1964, I think they launched the first credit card, Bank AmeriCard. The it pretty much does the exact same thing for the most part, like barring yeah. a few enhancements. And so we felt this is the last industry that hasn't seen meaningful or one of the last few industries that's large, that's global scale, that has high impact opportunity, that is running legacy platforms and stacks where incumbents don't really necessarily love the platforms they use currently. And our perspective was it's ripe for disruption. And now seven years in, um, have you, well, first of all, I'd like to hear what, what skills and experience you've had from starting companies in other sectors that you feel have been um, contributive um, to, to, to building a company in this space? Sure. So, I mean, I've spent my life building B2B SaaS software tech companies, and I have made every mistake that pos- that that a possible entrepreneur can make, you know, messed up on product ideas, you know, built the wrong stuff that nobody wanted, had wrong hypotheses, wrong go-to-market strategies. I think over time now, I, I kind of have a template when it comes to building B2B SaaS companies, probably applies to any company. But I think of every company and every product that I've built now going through kind of four stages, planning, uh, discovery, scaling, and steady state. <clears throat> in the planning phase, I'm kind of deciding whether I want to build the com- build that product or build the company or not. So me and Ramki, when we started out in, in 2015, we did about a year of homework before that. And I really think of, well, I think, six or seven deliverables at that point, which is a plan that comprises of who's the persona, what's the problem statement, um, what is our product going to do that is going to effectively address it 10x better than existing solutions? So persona problem product, what is the go-to-market strategy? What is the revenue strategy? And what is the mode, uh, which is sort of ensuring that how our business will sustain? So if you think of Zeta as a technology service provider to banks and fintechs, our persona is financial institutions and specifically within them, the tech teams and the business teams. The problem that they face is they're using legacy, you know, an ancient technology that doesn't allow them to be as agile, nimble, fast and innovative um, as they could be. Our product is intended to leverage modern cloud platforms and technologies to enable them to sort of become, you know, agile, nimble, fast, et cetera, and build modern experiences. Go-to-market strategy is sales, um, uh, enterprise sales, basically. Revenues we charge as a SaaS platform, you know, per active user, per month kind of fees. And, you know, this is a by itself a very sticky business with a, you know, powerful mode. And that's kind of the planning stage. And then discovery stage, you get the product market fit by, here's a hypothesis that I've had in the planning stage. I'm going to build it out. I'm going to take it to market. I'm going to see if there are customers willing to pay me that love our product, that will stick around uh, and, and have a high retention, high NPS, and we'll be very disappointed if we stop providing them the product or service. That's kind of the uh, you know, discovery stage. So we want to get 
product market fit, high NPS, and one traction channel that works. Mm -hmm. In the scaling stage, because we've validated the hypothesis, now we can put in capital, which is where we kind of are with Zeta, which is, you know, we've got the first few customers. Let's go now and get as many customers as possible. By the time it gets a steady state, in the scaling stage, I also build out all the playbooks, the sales playbook, the training courses for the entire team, uh, making sure everything that was done in the discovery stage is now repeatable. And then after that, you've got the steady state where things will just continue kind of growing uh, on its own. So that's kind of the template, if you will. Uh, and, and most of my mistakes were made in skipping parts of this framework. Like if you don't do your planning properly, if you don't have a clear persona with a clear problem. State, no shortcuts. Uh, no shortcuts. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, most of my mistakes is when, when, when I skip something, when I did, I mean, the framework is a result of making those mistakes. So I'll sure. say, you know, all positive, but right. It feels, it feels like battle tested. And um, I, I appreciate you plotting where you think Zeta is along that line, given your background and your experiences, like what role, where do you find yourself providing the most value as CEO um, is it on sales side or is it, is it, is it executing, you know, this framework? Where, where do you find yourself um, positioning yourself, I guess, within the company for, for maximum output? Sure. It's interesting. The framework also provides kind of a handy guide to, you know, what role I should play in every stage. So in the planning stage, it's actually grunt work and homework myself. It's primary research, secondary research. So me and Ramki, we spent a lot of time understanding the industry, like, you know, regulatory aspects, compliance aspects, technology, competition, what's out there, what do customers want, like doing a lot of that research ourselves in the planning stage. In the discovery stage, it's more uh, product strategy and go-to-market strategy that I kind of contribute to trying out, like, which, how should we go about positioning ourselves? And how should we go about selling the products and services, pricing it, packaging it, and things of that, basically, which is kind of what happened in, in the last several years. Mm -hmm. Right now in the scaling stage, I would say, I mean, I still, because Zeta is an enterprise sales, enterprise SaaS platform, right? So, you know, we deal with the mid to large size banks. Typically, our customers will have millions of cards, millions of accounts. There's probably about 250 or 300 banks around the globe that actually are relevant for um, right. for us as sort of target or sweet spot for our prime target audience. So I still am involved very, very heavily in uh, pre-sales motions and the pitches and the crafting of the messaging, et cetera, along with, of course, supported by an outstanding team in North America, a great marketing team across the globe, uh, et cetera. But I do a lot of deal. I'm, I am involved quite a bit in deal making. Uh, I am involved to a certain extent in product and strategy, but my co-founder and CTO Ramki, who's an absolute genius when it comes to technology and engineering, he sort of handles the bulk of that responsibility. Uh, and so those are the two areas where I had most strategic value. And then the third would be bringing in the right leadership over the last year, year and a half, we've grown substantially in terms of both you know, quantum of people and the, the leadership itself. So the core team, most of it has been built out in the last two to two and a half years. And that's, again, kind of what you do in the scaling stage, which is bringing the right middle and top tier kind of leadership and management uh, and then enabling them, um, you know, coaching them, training them, mentoring them and working along with them, leveraging their input because they come with myriad set of experiences um, to grow fast. So I think those are three areas, deal making. To a certain extent, product and strategy, but as I said, mostly left to kind of Ramki, my co-founder, and then building the sort of leadership team for go-to-market, for business, uh, for people's success, you know, and so on and so forth. Awesome. And I'd love to hear, given your vantage point, what your customers, your prospective customers want. Um, what what does a bank, you know, that has potentially millions of cards in the market, what what are they looking for and what problem are you solving for them?
Well, I think I kind of touched upon some of those aspects um, uh, just before this, exactly kind of uh, the areas that legacy stacks, you know, um, are, are hindrances in, which is, you know, quicker time to market, um, faster innovation. So we actually think about uh, the following pillars when it comes to selling our product. We say, because of leveraging modern technology, we provide, you know, hyper-personalization. So, um, you know, typical customer, typical financial institution has got 5 million credit cards. Every customer is getting the same experience. So that's not a digital experience. You know, when you think about digital, you and me will open our Instagram apps or Facebook apps or Twitter apps or Netflix apps or Google search results. They're going to be completely different because they're personalized to our circumstance. That doesn't happen with any financial service because the underlying platforms do not support hyper-personalization. We are the only stack that's built what we call a hyper-personalization policy engine that enables financial institutions to define the product in the form of dynamic parameters that are that essentially allow completely different experiences on a per transaction, per card, per account, per account holder basis. So there's this whole sort of hyper personalization piece. Embeddable banking ready. So Zeta's platform comes, Zeta Tachyon comes natively uh, embeddable banking ready. We have an interesting construct in our platform called a VBO or a virtual bank operator. So if you're a bank, you can create under you thousands of VBOs inside the Zeta stack. Each virtual bank is like a mini charter that you can then provide with a sandbox and a set of pre-configured APIs and web interfaces to your co-brand partners, fintech partners, Asian mm. bank partners. So if you are a, um, you know, you are a bank in in North America and you've got let's say Kroger's or Target or um, somebody as your co-brand partner or Brex or Revolut or whoever you're powering as a fintech partner, you can literally give them a sandbox environment within which they can distribute your products through APIs and embed those experiences inside their you know, merchant interfaces inside their apps, inside their web apps and so on and so forth, basically. So ZetaStack is natively embeddable banking ready because we provide 100% self-service through both. We have full lifecycle API coverage from product setup and configuration to product provisioning to account provisioning to account management, transaction management, uh, account closure, the full life cycle. This enables uh, you as a bank or financial institution to be able to actually innovate faster because you can build any apps without being dependent on us. You can configure any product without being dependent on us. You truly use it much like one would do with AWS versus you know what you would do in the data center days, right? Where you can now go and provision a machine. Nobody needs to tell you how. You don't have to go and buy a machine and buy connectivity and buy electricity and buy a cage and buy data center space, et cetera, right? It's all self-service. So ZetaStack is meant to be fully self-service thereby encouraging rapid innovation, faster application development and kind of full control uh, per se. And then there's a bunch of other unique aspects, basically. Uh, we support this notion of many-to-many multi-level customer account card hierarchies. Uh, we support some really unique next-gen out-of-the-box digital experiences. Uh, we have unparalleled extensibility. Um, so the stacks built some in some really interesting ways where you can actually interrupt state machines within the platform. Like, let's say a transaction's coming through our switch. You know, you can configure it such that you interrupt it and then basically we make an outbound call to you. You can participate in the authorization and then resume a state from somewhere. So it's event-driven, API first, and it enables lots of interesting capabilities. So kind of going back to your question, what financial institutions are looking for is how do they create unique experiences for their consumers because consumers are demanding that? How, how, how do they end up being more agile, faster, and sort of you know, enable building apps and doing business the speed of thought as opposed to at you know, sales speed, basically, which is where kind of self-service and the API stack piece comes in, et cetera. How do they participate in, you know, we think about 
at Zeta, we started with this vision of democratizing banking, of basically making payments invisible, um, you know, much like how we think about, let's say, the analogy that I give is, you know, think about water, right? There was a time when all of us would go to fetch water, right? We'd go to a well, we'd go to a lake, we'd mm -hmm. go to a river, we'd basically go to where water is. But now water comes to us when we need it, where we need it. Financial services is going through that same revolution. You know, you used to go to a bank, you would go and deposit money, you would go and withdraw money. But now it's going through this revolution where banking and financial services appear in the canvas when you need them, where you need them contextually. How do financial institutions enable that? You know, that's how that's where the embeddable banking readiness comes in. So all these pieces can enable uh, banks to become digital first companies. Um, and that's really our, our goal and objective. So, Bob, you you started that answer with talking about this hyper personalization that 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 Zeta can provide. Can you give some examples of of I guess use cases or how that would manifest? For sure. So, um, you know, every single policy. So, in Zeta, you configure a product. A product could be a credit card. A product comprises of multiple policies. This can be interest policy, fee policy, reward policy, statement policy, transaction policy, etc. In Zeta, in, typically you would configure these policies, and then you build a product in a typical legacy system. Everybody then gets the same experience. In Zeta, each of these policies have. Uh, what we call dynamic computation and dynamic assessment, meaning that these policies can be attached in such a way that they actually get attached to a single transaction or a single card or a single account or a single account holder, uh, enabling user unparalleled flexibility. So for instance, in a conventional legacy platform, you would have a credit card that says, whenever you do an ATM withdrawal and cash withdrawal, you're going to be charged 18% interest. And whenever you do a purchase transaction, you're going to be charged 14% interest. Let's say these are the two settings available. With Zeta, you could literally do things like all transactions done at Exxon Mobil between 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Wednesdays will get a 5% interest. Mm -hmm. Now, you could just never configure something like this, right? Uh, whether it's rewards, whether it's interest, whether it's fees. I'll give you a simplest example of personalization. Um, I want to do something as simple as anybody who, who anybody uses their card to withdraw cash from the ATM on their birthday doesn't get charged an ATM fee. That's a very simple thing, right? On your birthday, you want to sponsor the person to be able to go out there and party. And as a bank, you care about the individual and, and you're like, that's what I want to do. The only way to do that today in legacy systems is you will still charge the fee. Then there's a batch process that will run on some separate system once a day, once a month or whatever, figure out this person's birthday, credit it back. It's not instantaneous. Wow. It's not that same gratification because you can't configure a transaction level, you know, fee personalization. On the Zeta platform, it's extremely trivial. Uh, and so we allow the ability to not only define this in a what we call a, a dynamic hyper-personalization policy engine, which supports various rules for various policies, you can actually go one step further, which takes you to into the sort of world of like, you know, interesting possibilities. You can inject, and this is for the, you know, more tech inclined, you can inject dynamic JavaScript um, into any of these policies that gets assessed at runtime and performs a completely runtime dynamic assessment for that particular policy. So that also gives you some really interesting capabilities that, that you otherwise wouldn't get with any other platform. So this truly allows you to really make the product personal. Like you can create same product, same credit card, but if somebody's a frequent traveler, they'll see a different kind of, you know, rewards, interest fees, transactions, et cetera. Somebody else is a, you know, Transactor versus the revolver, they might see a different experience and so on and so forth. You can do this by audience segment, by single individual, uh, giving you sort of unparalleled capabilities in terms of really truly hyper-personalizing the experience for your customers. Thank you for that. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit, Bhavan. Um, We talked about the product. I want to talk a little bit about go-to-market. Um, you, you emphasized a couple times during our conversation that this is an enterprise sale. Um, 
So I'd love to hear some of the dynamics around that um, and, and how you are, I guess, accelerating, or if you can, if, um, how you're addressing that sale. And, and, and more particularly, the, the real question is coming from what role brand plays uh, in the enterprise sale? Because one of the things I appreciate about Zeta is, is that you've gone big, like, you know, Money 2020, you're there, you have a big presence there, you sponsor the, con the concerts. Um, I just <clears throat> talk, I mean, I'd love to hear your experiences about the role brand plays in terms of helping to, uh, to close those enterprise sales. Sure. I mean, I can talk about those two questions independently, but I'm a strong believer of branding and positioning. Uh, I, I'm a very, very strong believer of both those concepts. I also believe um, in what I what we call kind of nuclear strikes or lightning strikes as opposed to kind of like you could take a $10 million marketing budget and you could spread it over like 100 small things. Uh, versus sort of one big event or two big events or whatever. And I'm a strong believer of the latter. Like right. I think, you know, smaller, you know, a smaller number of like lower frequency, high impact is, it's kind of like, you know, you can toss a, a 10,000 grenades or one nuclear bomb. You're going to sort of see a, you know, yeah. a, 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 in a morbid sense, you know, a much higher impact with a nuclear attack, right? So, so in branding, I've always believed in that sort of high impact, um, uh, low frequency kind of uh, initiatives, which is what we do at Zeta. We, you know, we had uh, Journey last year. This year we had uh, the Foreigner uh, in concert at, at Money 2020. Great reception. We had, I think, upwards of six, seven, five, seven thousand people attending. So that was kind of a great branding exposure. But it, enterprise sales goes much beyond branding, right? It's consultative. It's um, solutioning based. Mm -hmm. It's um, uh, it's very dialogue oriented. I also think of ourselves as kind of not, you know, we think of ourselves as selling enterprise critical SaaS, right? It's not, you know, normal enterprise SaaS is like Workday or Oracle uh, or, you know, SAP or whatever that kind of is used to run your organization or pieces of your organization. But this is, this is like, we equate ourselves to Boeing. We're selling them the planes that are being used to transport their customers. Like in this case, we're selling core systems that will be used by them to actually power their products and power their customers. And so um, we've realized firstly that, you know, uh, as I said, we're focusing on on financial institutions that are, you know, in, in the, that are in kind of the larger set, like I would say top 40 banks in North America will be our prime target. We're still talking to the top 75. Mm -hmm. Similarly, across the globe, the top 250 banks will be kind of our primary target. Uh, similarly, in the fintech side, you know, the top um, percentile of the fintechs. But we've also found that with the financial institution, there has to be a readiness from their side. It's it's not a small lift. There's yeah. a sizable cost. I get that. And effort involved in migrating from a legacy platform, any platform to any other mm -hmm. platform. Um, and so we do anticipate and 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 expect there's some sort of readiness that the banks, the financial institutions want to actually make that move, and um, and have a team internally that truly understands the the benefits that a cloud native stack, you know. People, a lot of the legacy platforms are still talking about like cloud and service oriented and stuff like that. But there are very key distinctions between cloud enabled, cloud native, between service oriented architecture versus microservices based architecture versus a reactive, you know, reactive posture versus sort of a monolithic kind of, you know, um, uh, synchronous based sort of architecture. So event driven versus non event driven. And so you need individuals on the opposite side of the tech layer. And then about that, when you think about product, hyper-personalization, embeddable banking, APIs, you need to again have the readiness to sort of uh, be receptive to and understand all of that. And we found a lot of the large financial institutions have started their exploration journey around this 
over the last three to you know three to five years, some have even started building their own stuff. Realized after three, you know, two three years, it actually makes sense to partner with the right stack, and we're finding many of them receptive to our pitch. And so it it, it is actually you know the, the benefit of enterprise SaaS sales is that I only have to talk to you know our our companies is is working with this at top forty banks, financial institutions, and other top twenty fintechs in, in the entire country. Um, so the, the target audience is small, but there's a lot of influencers, a lot of pers- you know individuals within the organization. Your typical large sale for us, um, you know, w- our largest customer in India is a bank called HDFC Bank. In the in North America, we've got two two large contracts. You would find yourselves at the end of the sales process, you would have talked to probably between seventy to two hundred people in the organization, wow. multiple wow. hours across about a six to nine month journey um, before you kind of close the sales piece. And then another 12 to 18 months for implementation, another six to 12 months after that for, you know, actually bringing in customers, et cetera, before it becomes steady state. So it's a, it's, 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 it's a patient process. (laughs) I like how you you position that as patient. I'm, as you're saying that um, with that number of interactions, I'm just appreciating, I guess, the complexity of the sales cycle. Um, we have time for just one last question. And, I, you know, we're getting to the end of 2022. It's been kind of a wild year for a variety of reasons. I'm curious, as you're looking ahead to next year, like what your big goals are for 2023? Um, sure. So 2023, I mean, our focus now for the next uh, 18 to 24 months from a go-to-market standpoint is North America. Uh, we'll basically start a couple of other markets um, sometime in 2024, but most of 2020, all of 2023 and part of 2024 is going to be focused there. Uh, our objective would be to work currently we've launched. I mean, we have the whole suite, but we've launched credit cards. Um, we shortly hope to launch debit cards and prepaid also with a few really large um, North American clients that we're working with pretty closely. So the goal will be to do that. And the second goal is kind of, as I said, I think we're in that scaling stage right now when I kind of talk about my template. Uh, so we're putting into place the playbooks for customer service, support, site reliability, uh, product intakes, um, you know, um, so on and so forth. So a large part of the preparation in North America took place last year in terms of compliance, regulatory, uh, initial setup, initial branding in the last two years. And now it's about setting in place the playbooks and, and the, the leadership team that will be able to carry it on, um, let's say, you know, 18 months from now. Got that. Bhavan, thank you so much for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. My pleasure, Zach. Thank you for having me.